Welcome to Have You Heard, the AABP podcast. My name is Dr. Fred Gingrich, and I'm the Executive Director at AABP. And today we're going to be joined by Dr. Isaac Jumper, who is a clinical instructor at Mississippi State University College of Veterinary Medicine. We're going to be discussing a series of three papers that were published in the AABP peer-reviewed journal, The Bovine Practitioner. We're going to primarily discuss the results of a survey of cow-calf producers who were members of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association across the United States. The authors asked the cow-calf producers, why are you in the cow-calf business, and then investigated what factors impact producers to keep cattle health and production records. How do they use and access technology for cattle health and production records, and what is the veterinarian's involvement in cattle health and production record keeping. Stay tuned to see how you can develop opportunities in your cow-calf practice that benefit you, your clients, and their cattle. Isaac, welcome to our show. Uh, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, please? Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Gingrich. My name is Isaac Jumper. I'm currently a clinical instructor at Mississippi State University at the College of Veterinary Medicine here. Um, my role is a little diverse within the college here. I teach at various places throughout the curriculum. Um, but most of what I do is work in our population medicine service. Um, it's a third year clinical rotation where we uh, take students out into the field and diagnostic disease investigations and outbreak investigations. Um, and I also have a little bit of clinical responsibility in uh, um, ambulatory and food animal services and then um, have a little bit of a research component as well. So excited to be here and I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Well, we're excited to talk about the papers that were recently published in the AABP peer-reviewed journal called The Bovine Practitioner, and we're going to walk through those papers. So while you're driving around in your trucks this morning, everyone, you can listen to uh, uh, the principal investigator on these papers, Dr. Isaac Jumper, and um, uh, uh, and then we encourage you to go back and, and read those papers because you're going to get the, the, the charts and tables in, too. So let's start off, Isaac, and just talk about why did you decide to submit these papers to our journal? And then, you know, we have this new process where all the submissions are online. Our peer review process is online. We publish them online. Talk a little bit about your experience with that, please. Absolutely. So uh, this, uh, the whole process itself was, I felt, very streamlined. Um, it was a very easy process to work through. Uh, we, we selected the, the bovine practitioner because of the reading audience of the journal. Um, we felt that the work that we had done really needed to be in the hands of the practitioners, and we, we just felt like that the bovine practitioner was the best publication to get that done with. Um, we're very interested in providing resources to the practitioner who's working in the field, and so um, we felt that the reading audience of this journal was really the the audience that best captured the, the folks that we wanted to get this research in the hands of. So um, the process of submission was was excellent, really. It was very, as I said before, very streamlined. 
Um, there was everything from a quick turnaround um, to the just really a, the logistics of submitting it through the online portal. Everything was very intuitive. Um, it worked very simply. Didn't have any real you know issues with anything at all. Um, and I really appreciate the work that you and all the staff there at um, Bovine Practitioner and the editors that we worked with and the, the reviewers. I, I really appreciate all of their help. Um, and r really just can't say enough good things about the, the whole process um, and very appreciative that we were able to get this work um, submitted and published and now into the hands of the practitioners that I think can benefit from it. Well, thank you. We really appreciate that. And if you're listening to this, you know, the bovine practitioner, uh, that's our focus. That journal is really targeted to practicing veterinarians. Uh, I think the articles are pretty um, easy to read for a practicing veterinarian. You don't need a PhD in epidemiology. Uh, and they really provide information that, and, and especially I think this uh, series of articles provides information that really can help that practicing veterinarian. So I appreciate that. And if you're interested, if you're listening to this and you're interested in submitting uh, an article to the bovine practitioner, uh, we'll have links in the show notes about how to do that. Uh, and you don't need to be in academia to submit research. Uh, you could be industry veterinarian, a practicing veterinarian. So I would encourage you all to check out our journal. So let's start with the, you know, your, your, your basic question here, Isaac, that you were looking at. And, you know, all three of these articles were based on a survey of cow-calf producers. So let's talk about, you know, what, what, uh, um, was your reasoning that you said, hey, I want to survey cow-calf producers? Absolutely. That's kind of the fundamental question, right? Um, yeah. You know, what, what, was our, what was our focus and why did we select, you know, this, this study to do? Um, and it really, it comes back to an interest that we have here at Mississippi State in uh, this overarching idea of antimicrobial stewardship. Um, we, we have several different um, projects and interests going on here that, that, are, that are around this issue of antimicrobial stewardship. And I think that that's, you know, in a lot of ways in the forefront of a lot of, of veterinarians in practice and in industry and in academia across the U.S. today. Um, and so when we, when we were thinking about this project, we, um, we are interested, obviously, in being able to use animal health and production data to make better decisions around management of animals. And, and we think that, you know, if we are able to collect strategic types of information and strategic types of animal health data, then we might be able to use that for a, a various, you know, number of things to be able to improve the, uh, the management and the overall health of those animals. And maybe even in such a way that we can reduce disease risk or reduce, you know, the need to use antimicrobials in that sense. And so, you know, we were interested in cow-calf producers primarily because that's really kind of the foundation of the beef supply chain in the United States. And um, a lot of the um, potential, you know, health events that a calf may struggle with, um, many of those have some origins at the level of the cow-calf operation. And so we were really interested in how are cow-calf producers collecting and using information. You know, first of all, what, what's going on out there? What's actually being done? And then Second of all, how do we use that information then to provide tools and resources to these producers that can improve that decision-making process alongside their practitioner? 
Uh, and then, you know, how do we equip the practitioner then to use this information to, to provide evidence-based recommendations that not only benefit, you know, the bottom line and the profitability of the producer, but but also improve the overall health of the, you know, the animal that they're caring for and, and maybe even, like I mentioned before, reduce the risk of disease and reduce the, you know, the need for the use of antimicrobials at the cow-calf level or, you know, moving forward in the production chain. Yeah, and, and you know, surveys are always challenging, you know, Many of us that have administered surveys, and let's talk a little bit about. I thought it was it was uh, interesting how you decided on your data set. You know who who you were going to target, and you know how you administered the survey, um, and then some of the you know logistical challenges associated with that that you talk about in all three papers. Discuss that a little bit. Absolutely. Yep. So we were very fortunate, and I'm very appreciative of the NCBA for partnering with us on this project and allowing us to survey their membership. Um, honestly, this this project just wouldn't have gotten off the ground, and it wouldn't have worked had had they not been very willing to work with us. And and I think it worked out well because we ended up asking questions that they are very interested in as well. Obviously, through programs like the Beef Quality Assurance Program, they. They advocate for record keeping and, and keeping up with these types of information on cow-calf operations. And so the NCBA membership specifically was of interest to us um, because we, we really kind of hypothesized that these folks may be a group of producers nationwide that are already familiar with or have some knowledge of record-keeping processes. And so... When we were thinking about designing the study, we, we, had, we identified very early on that there are likely, you know, different levels of, of producers out there in terms of, you know, the types of records they keep or if they keep any records at all or if they use any information on their cattle. And, you know, if we're trying to improve um, the overall process of record keeping, it's probably a little easier to start with those producers that already have some familiarity with the process that may already be keeping things like calving dates or breeding dates or things like that, but but can just do a little better job of understanding what to do with that information and how that information can drive increases in operational efficiency and profitability. And so that was really the reason that we decided to start with um, NCBA producers and that you know we just felt that they were probably familiar with these topics that we were going to be asking about, um, and we were unlikely to encounter a, you know a large proportion of these producers that just had no familiarity at all or were, you know, opposed to the idea of, of keeping any records. And, and so that, that means their, their opinions were really the opinions that we were interested in from the standpoint of, you know, if they're already collecting and using some records, then they may be willing to, you know, they may be amendable to some improved methods of doing so, especially around using more efficient electronic records. Um, so that's just a little bit about, you know, the, the sample data set. We, you know, we did the survey. Um, it was a, a mixed method survey. Um, we sent out um, paper packets to all these producers. There was a little over 14,000 producers in the data set, and we asked that the NCBA only include those producers that are actively or that were on their membership list as involved in cow-calf operations. And then we, we included the first question in the survey to help us further refine that the responses. And so the first question was, are you actively involved in cow-calf production? And, and, you know, that was just another way that we could um, try to refine and make sure that there weren't, 
you know, businesses or other other um, individuals that would be answering this survey that were not directly involved in cow-calf production. Um, the like I said, we sent it out to a little over fourteen thousand producers, um, and we did that through a third-party printing service, um, and then we received, you know, a large number of responses as well. We got we got a little over a twenty-five percent response rate back from that, um, so we were very pleased with our response rate. Um, the interesting thing, and I think we'll probably talk about this a little bit more, was um, when we sent the packet, we gave the producers three options to be able to uh, respond to the survey. They could, they could fill out the paper survey that I included in the in the packet, along you know with a number nine business reply envelope. So they could just fill it out on paper and put it in that business reply envelope and drop it in the mail and send it back to me. Um, or on the, on the letter of introduction that I sent to them, there was a little short URL that they could enter into a web browser and answer the survey online. Or they could scan a QR code that I had printed at the bottom of the letter of introduction, and they could answer it on their smartphone. Um, so they had three options of how to answer it. And like I said, I think we'll probably get to the, the results of that and how they answered, but it was it was not at all what I expected in terms of their preferred method of responding to the survey. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always fun when you are surprised while you're collecting data and evaluating. Absolutely, that's that's really cool. So let's dig into these papers now. And and like I said, we've had we have three papers that uh, uh, were all submitted and published at the same time, and we're going to walk through each one. And the first one is titled "Survey of U.S. Cow Calf Producer." producer methods and opinions of cattle health and production record keeping. So what was your, you know, why did you ask this question, Isaac? Yeah, so the objective of this first study was really to describe the record keeping methods of producers. You know, what is currently going on out there in the field? You know, how are producers actually recording and keeping information on their cattle? And what types of information are they recording? So that was really the focus of this. This article also includes some information about challenges that producers might face in the process of recording and collecting information. Um, so this, this first paper is really the bulk of the information about how are records being collected on cow-calf operations, what types of records are those, are those um, operations recording, and then what are the barriers or the challenges that they face to that. Um, and I think that this is, you know, kind of the, in, in some senses, the heart of the, the project and that there's yeah. a lot of information here that that's really interesting and really, really useful, I think. Yeah, certainly. So let's let's walk through some of the highlights of the results of this study and then maybe talk about, you know, what are some of the factors that you identified that impacted cattle health and production record keeping? Absolutely. So I think that, you know, a lot of what we learned in this um, first section of the study really validated what we thought we knew about cow-calf producers across the U.S. Um, you know, so when, when we compare these results, as if you, if you take a look at the paper in the discussion, we reference back to data that was already available, like the NOMS research data. Um, and and there's, there's lots of things that, that our results um, end up being similar to other other information that's out there that describes cow-calf operations in terms of the demographics of those producers. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, some of the things that, that we found were that, not surprisingly, most of the respondents were involved in commercial cattle production. Um, I think something like about 
uh, 60% of those producers were involved in um, commercial cattle production. The, the states that we received the most responses from, um, I'll just list those in order, Texas was number one, Missouri was number two, followed by Kansas, Tennessee, and Oklahoma. And when we looked at the, uh, the NAS, National Agricultural Statistics Service data, for the number of beef cows per state, you know, that lined up fairly closely. We weren't exactly the same one through five, uh, but I think three of the top five were also in our three, um, or also in our top five in terms of numbers of responses, which, you know, just I think signals to us that that the the data that we have represents areas where there are lots of beef cows. Um, so we got a good response from areas of the country where there are lots of beef cow-calf operations. Um, you know, when we asked producers about um, some of their demographic information, this was a, I should have said this earlier, I guess, this was a totally anonymous survey. So when we when we sent it out, the producers didn't, didn't include, unless they voluntarily did, any identifying information. But we asked them things about their age. Um, and so about 75% of the respondents were 55 years of age or older. Um, the two most commonly selected herd size categories were the 50 to 99 head and the 100 to 199 head. Um, that represented collectively um, almost 50% of the respondents, which this was actually an interesting finding to me because um, that was the sample that we um, ended up surveying represented a little bit larger in terms of herd size, cow-calf producers than than the average herd size. You know, there's lots of um, there's lots of measurements or estimates of the average herd size across the U.S. and kind of depending on what you read, that varies somewhere from the low 30s, you know, to the to the early or the the low 40s in terms of herd size. And so, I think that our sample represented slightly larger um, herd size operations than what the national average would be, but but then when we think about that, I don't think that's all that, um, you know, all that shocking considering that we did survey NCBA members. Um, yeah. pro- probably one of the most interesting findings just from the demographic section, um, and I've shared this in, in a number of, uh, number of discussions about the research, is that when we asked producers what their motivation for being in the cow-calf industry was, you know, we listed several opportunities for, you know, things like cattle have always been in, our, been in my family. You know, I have them primarily as a source of income. Um, different, different options like that for why they would be motivated to be in the cow-calf industry. But interestingly, 84% of producers said that they were in the cow-calf industry simply because they enjoyed taking care of cattle. And the number two reason was that cattle had been in their family for a number of generations. So... Um, that was about 65% of producers that said that. So, you know, to me, this really indicates that, you know, oftentimes we we target um, things like profitability as reasons to try to convince producers to to you know change the way they're doing something or improve methods of of management or things like that. When when it might not always be profitability or finances that are actually the strongest motivating factors for these producers, you know. Oftentimes, it's you know I think that that we have some data from this survey that suggests it's a it's a enjoyable lifestyle choice and they they just enjoy caring for the cattle and that's why they're in the cattle business. Um, you know some of the other things that I think were interesting. 
When we ask producers about the types of data that they are currently collecting, um, not surprisingly, things like annual cow inventory, breeding dates, calving dates, vaccine administration, those were all very commonly, you know, greater than 80% of producers said that they collected those types of things. But um, there were a few pretty key pieces of information that, that were not very commonly collected by cow-calf producers uh, that I think really, you know, can have a, a large amount of impact on the overall efficiency, especially reproductive efficiency on cow-calf operations. And some of those things are like reproductive tract scores. Um, for example, only 15% of producers were collecting reproductive tract scores. And so, you know, that may or may not be an opportunity for, you know, practitioners to offer a service to producers that um, you can then use that information to uh, inform selection of replacement heifers, for example. Um, you know, when we ask producers about <clears throat> how they collect different types of information on their operation, um, n you know, not surprisingly, and I guess very encouragingly, um, about 86% of producers indicated that they did use individual animal identification. So they, they individually identified cows and calves on their operation. And again, I don't think that's surprising, knowing the sample of producers that we, that we surveyed. Um, of all the producers that we surveyed, about 63% um, used handwritten types of records. Um, that means they kept, you know, track of different things in either a handwritten notebook or, a, you know, a, a pocket notepad, you know, some of those things that we're all very familiar with. Um, and then collectively, about 37% of the, res the respondents used some type of electronic records, you know, and that would be some spreadsheet software, uh, some other commercially available um, record-keeping softwares that are out there or, you know, other methods of, of keeping up with things on their smartphone. So that was interesting. About a third of those respondents were already using some sort of electronic record-keeping method. Um, so I think those are some of the more interesting descriptive types of results. And, uh, you know, we did a little bit of an inferential analysis on this, on this data to uh, describe some of the outcomes that we were interested in. For this first particular paper, we were primarily interested in the outcomes of, you know, what are the factors that drive the collection and use of any kind of records, first of all, on CalCAF operations. Um, the second outcome we were interested in is, you know, what are the factors that drive the use of electronic records specifically? And then um, the third outcome we were interested in is, you know, what are, what are some of those barriers or the factors that are related to the commonly recorded barriers or challenges that producers might face as well. And so um, I think we could talk about a, a couple of the factors that influenced um, the use of any type of records on cow-calf operations. Yeah. Uh, I think that was um, really kind of one of the core questions of this work. Uh, and so when we, when we did this, uh, this inferential analysis, um, a couple of the factors that kind of rose to the top and uh, were consistently related with producers' Um, using any type of records were the type of operation. Uh, we found that seed stock producers had greater odds comparatively to commercial producers of using any, any type of records. I don't think that's surprising, really, knowing what we know about um, seed stock producers and that most of those producers are pretty detail-oriented, and, and they may be that way because of the requirements of breed associations to then submit information in for registration and those types of things. And so... That wasn't an, an unsurprising um, finding for us. Um, another variable was the age of the respondent. Um, younger producers just had greater odds of keeping any kind of records. 
um, the the gender of responses, female responses, had greater odds than uh, male respondents of of keeping any type of records. Um, and then, interestingly, um, if the cow-calf operation was the producer's primary source of income, then uh, those respondents had greater odds um, of saying that they kept any sort of cattle health and production records compared to those respondents who said the cow-calf operation is not their primary source of income. Um, and then the last factor that was really related to this outcome was um, whether or not the producer, well, it was really level of education. And so those producers with, with higher levels of education, um, the highest category that we asked about being some sort of a postgraduate or professional degree, those producers had greater odds um, than producers with, with lower educational levels. And, and I think that's probably um, a little bit due to maybe a familiarity with data collection and data use. You know, some of these producers that may have participated in postgraduate or professional degree programs likely, you know, collected some type of data for those programs and are familiar with its use and decision-making and, and whatnot. So I think those are some of the more interesting, you know, inferential results from the study. Great information there and kind of the background for the rest of our discussion, Isaac, uh, about this survey of cow-calf producers. Uh, the next paper that we're going to talk about is titled Survey of U.S. Cow-Calf Producer Access to and Use of Technology for Cattle Health and Production Record-Keeping Purposes. So let's get into the objectives of, of this uh, paper in the series. Absolutely. So this paper was was very interesting, I felt, in that, you know, the focus was really around what types of technologies are available to cow-calf producers to record cattle health and production data. Um, so really the objective was just to describe those, those types of technologies that producers would have access to um, and what they're currently using as well on their, on their operations. Um, so that was, that was really the focus of this second paper. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the results of this paper and, you know, what impacts cow-calf producer access to use of technology and using technology for cattle health and production record keeping. Absolutely. I'll, I'll kind of mention here at the beginning because one of the, one of the first results that we list in this paper is um, related to how those cow-calf producers chose to respond to our survey. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I alluded to that a little bit earlier, but but um, we found that when we sent out a paper survey that um, the overwhelming majority of producers preferred to just fill out the paper survey and mail it back to me. And so that's absolutely fine with me. I have a, I have a giant stack of surveys still sitting <laughs> in my office. Um, and I had a lot of help from, uh, from some folks to help me go through each one of those paper surveys. Um, that was that was quite the experience. Um, it was it was great because there's also lots of handwritten notes and and things that that we got from producers about the surveys and and overall it was it was very well received. I feel like there were they were very the, the respondents were very open and and willing to share information about their operations with us. Um, but we found that we felt that that was significant because um, we had we had really considered doing this as a totally electronic survey, and in hindsight, I think that we might have you know every I guess every survey has some bias in the response, right? I mean the the folks that respond to a survey are are always a little bit of a biased sample, but um, I think that 
you know, we really captured a, a segment of the cow-calf industry and particularly a segment of potential respondents that, that we might not have had we done it completely electronically um, because, like I said, of the overwhelming number of producers that responded by paper. It was almost 90% of the responses that we got were were by paper, so it was, it was several thousand responses. Um, so anyway, we can... I'll move into some of the results from this paper. Um, you know, we asked one of the one of the key things that we were interested in is is smartphone use by by cow calf producers. It's something that there's not there's just not a lot of information available out there about how many cow calf producers may be using smartphones today. And I mean, you know, in all honesty, smartphones are very prominent in in our culture and society today, and they offer a lot of flexibility and, and the ability to do a lot of things really kind of in the palm of your hand. And so we've kind of thought very often that, you know, they would be a very good platform for cattle health and production record keeping. And there's there's some of those, um, there are some products available out there today that offer some record keeping systems from the smartphone. And so that was one of the first things that we asked. One of the first questions that we asked producers was about whether or not they're currently using a smartphone. And 85% of all the producers um, that responded said that they were, they did, you know, own and use a smartphone every day. Um, interestingly enough, an even greater percentage, 90, about 93% of producers said that they had access to a computer on their operation that they could use for cattle health and record keeping purposes. Um, and then almost 90% of producers had internet access at their office or headquarters. And that was really interesting, too, because we, we really kind of felt like there would be some pretty significant regional differences in Internet availability. Um, and we asked, you know, producers um, which state, obviously, as we discussed earlier, that they were in. And so with having some knowledge of what state they were in, we could then kind of look at this data by region of the country. And, and the Internet access was was really greater than 80% across all regions. There, there really wasn't any, any region that, that had less than 80% of respondents that said they had Internet access. Um, and, and that was at the headquarters of the operation, the way that we worded it in the question. Um, so, I'm, you know, I think it's reasonable to assume that they wouldn't necessarily have Internet access all over their cow-calf operation, but they would at least have that access at the headquarters or at the ranch office or wherever that may be. Okay, so about 72% of respondents were uh, familiar with Internet-based electronic information storage systems. That's kind of a mouthful, but we were interested in um, whether or not respondents were, 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 whether they were familiar with things like um, the cloud or OneDrive or, you know, um, different sorts of Internet-based data storage systems that might commonly be used today. And, and might commonly be used from a smartphone um, because those those types of, of databases or, or information storage systems offer you know lots of, of data storage availability and it, and it can be done in such a way that it doesn't tie up a lot of um, you know a lot of memory or storage on a local device and so there's some you know there's issues with that in that you know sometimes if data is lost then it can be hard to recover or whatnot but but we were interested in what cow-calf producers, you know, thought about that type of technology and that type of uh, data storage system. And so, um, you know, the about three-quarters of respondents were familiar with that type of technology. 
And interestingly enough, about a third, almost 35% of respondents said that they would be willing to use some sort of an Internet-based electronic information storage system to, uh, to, to store or to house their cattle health and production records. Um, so that, that was fairly interesting, I think. Um, we also asked some questions about um, where cell phone signal was available um, around their cow-calf operation. We asked specifically if they had a cell phone signal in the locations where they would commonly be collecting cattle health and production information, those things like in the pasture where they might be calving out cows, for example, if they would have a cell phone signal there um, that could be used to record things like calf birth weight, calf sex, different different pieces of information at birth. Um, other examples might be um, at the processing chute where they're going to be working cows if they had a cell phone signal available there. Um, and in that, uh, there was some differences in region in the number of uh, responses or the number of individuals who indicated that they had cell phone signal available by region. Um, the, interestingly, the Midwest and the Southeast had the greatest cell phone signal available. Um, and there was some variability in that. Um, there's some good images in the paper that kind of describe the, across the different regions um, where cell phone signal was available and where it wasn't. Um, the, the mountainous region, not surprisingly, um, really had the, the fewest producers. About about 50% of producers said that they had a cell phone signal available. Um, in the remaining portion, just under 40% said that they had it sometimes, that it was kind of an intermittent cell phone signal there. So, um, But that, that's I don't think that's surprising, just given the remoteness of some of the regions where beef cattle are raised in the U.S. either. I think that's kind of the important descriptive statistics or the descriptive results from this from this survey. So uh, we also were interested in some outcomes uh, related to producer use and access to technology for record keeping. Um, one of the outcomes that we were interested in is uh, just describing factors that described the producer's decision to respond by you know one method over the other to the survey and so um, what were the factors that drove producers to respond to the survey using you know, by paper or by an electronic method? Um, and, and similar kind of to those factors that we discussed earlier about, um, you know, that, that uh, influence producer use of any type of cattle health and production records, some of the things like respondent age, respondent education level, um, those were both important factors that influenced um, the producer's response. Um, by paper over electronic methods. Um, if a producer had said that they did use or own a smartphone, then they were um, or they had greater odds of of responding to the survey electronically. I don't think that's really a very surprising finding. Um, there were some regional differences in this as well. Um, those differences were were pretty small, honestly. Um, again, the the theme is is that we. We really anticipated there being large differences among region in some of these, you know, different different access to technologies, especially things like internet and cell phone signal that we talked about. But on the overall, there really wasn't as large of a difference between regions as what we thought, and I think that's encouraging. So I think that's one of the outcomes that we were interested in. Another outcome that was of particular interest is what factors might motivate a producer to say that they were interested in using a smartphone to to at least collect and record 
cattle health and production information. Um, to me, this is kind of the most uh, interesting inferential analysis that's included in this second paper. So producers that already owned and used a smartphone, um, I think fairly obviously had uh, greater odds of being interested in using that smartphone to capture cattle health and production data. Other things like respondent age and respondent education level, you can kind of see that these variables were pretty consistently involved in some of these record keeping outcomes that we were interested in. Um, younger producers had greater odds of being interested in using the smartphone to capture cattle health and production data. Um, respondents with higher education levels were, were had greater odds of, of being interested in using their smartphone in that way. Um, and then things like uh, respondent herd size and whether or not the operation was their primary source of income were also related to that. Um, producers with larger herd sizes were more interested or had greater odds of saying they were interested in using a, a smartphone to capture cattle health and production records. I think that you know that might that might be intuitive as well as with larger herd sizes comes just you know a larger volume of data that needs to be collected and those producers might be interested in you know a little bit more efficient or a faster way of collecting that data and that you know one option for that might be using a, a smartphone type of technology. Um, an interesting thing that we found when we asked um, if, within this analysis. Um, about the association with um, primary source of income and interest in using a smartphone was that cow-calf producers who said that the operation was not their primary source of income had greater odds of being interested in using a, a smartphone for record keeping. And, and huh. this was a, yeah, this was a little bit interesting because I kind of thought it might, you know, we'd, we'd hypothesize it might be the other way around. And when we thought about this a little bit, I think that, um, some of the concepts of diffusion innovation that some of our listeners may be familiar with might explain this a little bit. Um, there's a theory that, that describes the, the diffusion of innovation into societies, and a lot of the early work on it was done um, with the use of different um, hybrid varieties of corn in the Midwest and how it diffused into communities and using, using hybrid varieties. And it's pretty interesting to, to read about and and to understand a little bit um, of the, the factors that motivate people to change things that they've been doing. And, and when you look at the different stages of individuals within a community like that, uh, you know, the very early, the folks that adopt new technology very early, they're called the innovators, and then you have the, you know, the early adopters. And I think that, that in a sense, we may have surveyed uh, lots of innovators or early adopters in our in our given sample, and, and I think that you know that's a good thing. Those are the people that were interested in their opinion, uh, but that might describe why you know the, these producers that you know they're not necessarily dependent upon the cow calf operation as a primary source of income. That doesn't mean it's not a significant source of income to that producer, um, but because of that, they're a little bit more willing to to take a chance on something that you know, they might not be sure about. And so in this particular case, I think that that, that might describe a little bit about why we we found this uh, this specific association in this in this analysis. Yeah. That's that's really interesting and I think that our listeners that are in cow calf practice, there's some really good tips in that paper uh, for you to have conversations with your clients about, uh, you know, record keeping and how you can be involved in that, which leads us to our next paper, 
which is about veterinary involvement. And that uh, third and final paper is called Survey of Veterinary Involvement in Cattle Health and Production Record Keeping on U.S. Cow-Calf Operations. So talk about the objectives, Isaac, and why did you want to specifically look at veterinarians and their involvement in cattle health production records? Yes, sir. So this this last paper really wraps up the last um, pieces of information that we ask in this survey. And and, uh, so I maybe should have mentioned this earlier. All of these these papers were based on one survey that we did, and they, they represent, you know, different sections and different pieces of information from that from that survey. But the objective of this last paper was to, you know, describe veterinary involvement in cattle health and production record keeping on cow calf operations, um, and identify factors that were related with with veterinarians being involved in that. And and in a lot of senses, you know, this might be the most important piece of information that we got out of this out of this entire project um, because we really are interested in you know how do we involve veterinarians more in this process uh, both to provide you know that evidence-based decision making and and um, you know the the high quality veterinary advice that that can be beneficial to producers but but also you know to provide veterinarians with with tools and things that they can use to you know, to offer additional services in their practice and, and potentially generate, you know, income from those services in their practices. And, and so I think this is, in a lot of ways, you know, some of the most important findings from this entire, from this entire project. Yeah, I agree. And let's talk a little bit about some of those results, uh, you know, about veterinarians being involved in this process that our listeners will find interesting. Yeah, so when we asked producers um, if a veterinarian was influential in management decisions on their cow-calf operation, two-thirds of the respondents said yes. And I think that's a very encouraging thing because we, the way we worded that question was kind of intentional. Um, we didn't ask if they just used a veterinarian. We asked if a veterinarian was influential in management decisions. And I think that that in itself implies that there's this very close working relationship between the veterinarian and the producer, you know, and when 63% of the respondents said yes, that's a, I think that's a very encouraging thing that we had lots of producers that really valued the opinion of their veterinarian in management decisions in their operation. And that, that to me speaks really to the, you know, to the value of that um, very close VCPR that, that many practitioners have with their producers and, and the level of care and investment and time that they put into, you know, the success of those operations. So that was really one of the first things that we asked in this section of questions and uh, was was really an exciting finding, I think. We also asked producers about um, what services that they might um, use a veterinarian for, and it, this, this wasn't um, all that surprising. There was a large percentage, about three-quarters of producers, that said that they utilize um, veterinarians for emergency services, things that, you know, are just going to happen on a cow-calf operation. Um, herd work and pharmaceutical sales were also, you know, very commonly identified um, services that the respondents utilize the veterinarians for. Um, <clears throat> when we asked if, if veterinarians were currently collecting and recording or using cattle health and production records on the cow-calf operation, um, most producers said no, and so we interpreted this this as you know there's lots of opportunities out there 
um, for veterinarians to, to offer these services to those clients, especially in light of another finding that we had um, because we asked producers, if the service was available, would you pay a veterinarian to analyze cattle health and production records and provide management advice based on that information? And a third of the respondents said yes. And so I think that that's, that's really an encouraging finding, um, that there was that large of a percentage of producers that said yes, they would be very willing um, to pay a veterinarian for these services. Um, and so I think that you know, when, when kind of interpreted as a, as a whole there, there's lots of opportunities um, for veterinarians to be involved in um, some sort of a data collection and analysis system on these cow-calf operations. And I think, you know, there's a sizable number of producers that are interested in that service. Um, another kind of the la one of the last interesting descriptive things we, we found that was also very encouraging is we asked these producers um, what their primary source of cattle health treatment and vaccination information was. So where do they get information about really cattle health topics? And again, the very the most common two thirds of respondents, and it's really the most common by a long shot. Two thirds of respondents said that their local veterinarian was their source of this information. And so, I think again that that speaks to the you know the quality of those working relationships that veterinarians would have with their clients. Um, and again, that was a that was a very encouraging response that that we found. Yes, and I think there's lots of good nuggets of information in that final paper also for veterinarians, especially as, you know, I was in private practice for over 20 years, and oftentimes veterinarians, we question ourselves and say, eh, producers probably, my, my clients aren't really interested in paying me for those things. But I think this uh, study, which is supported by some other work, uh, would challenge that, uh, that line of thinking. So I really appreciate uh, those comments, Isaac. Let's let's talk a little bit about um, you know we always uh, when we're doing research uh, um, we always want to identify what are some of the limitations and challenges uh, with uh, this particular study all three papers and also where you might think there might be some opportunities for future research. Absolutely, and so I think that anybody who's done a survey can absolutely identify with the fact that there is there is no perfect survey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get these responses, and and there were there were several things that I saw, and I thought, man, I wish I could have asked that question differently. But but you don't necessarily know that until you start getting responses um, back. And so, I, absolutely, I think there is no perfect survey. And um, you know, some of the things that we discuss in these papers are that you know we have to interpret these results knowing the the sample population that we acquired them from. And I think that. You know, the NCBA members and, and kind of the type of cow-calf producer that they likely represent, they were, our, they were our target audience, and we were interested in their, in their responses for those, you know, those reasons we discussed previously. But, you know, it might be reasonable to say that they don't represent every cow-calf producer across the U.S. And, um, you know, really going back to, the, to what we talked about with some of the ideas of innovation diffusion, um, it may be that we captured, you know, a, a more sizable number of those innovators and, and early adopters and early majority of producers by using this NCBA data set. And, and I think that that's, that's advantageous to this project, but, but at the same time, we, we have to recognize that, you know, if we surveyed, you know, a, a totally different population of cow-calf producers, we might get different responses from this. And, you know, I think that that's okay because um, when we think about 
you know, a practitioner that's interested in implementing some of these services in their practice, well, it's not very likely that every single cow-calf client that they have is going to be interested in this. And I think that, you know, the best use of their time and, and labor in implementing some of these things may be to identify a few of those more progressive, you know, really good clients that value their their time and their opinion and, and approach those clients and say, hey, what if we, you know, started keeping up with some of this information and using it for, to tackle some of these challenges that we may be facing? Um, and so I think that that's, you know, that's really, in summary, um, the takeaway that we have from um, the, the the population that we sampled and understanding that although it's probably not representative of every cow-calf producer, it still is is valuable in that sense. And, you know, and additionally, with surveys, you always have those that don't respond, right? And so I think that, you know, if we were, if we were able to get information from all those that received the survey but chose not to respond, well, then, you know, there may be some differences as well. But I think that that is similar to what we talked about with, you know, producers that, that did not receive the survey. Um, those NCBA members that, that chose to respond, you know, maybe those members that have a vested interest or are particularly have particularly strong opinions about record keeping. So they saw the topic of the survey and they had some, you know, opinions that they were willing to share about it. And, and those that chose not to respond may have been, you know, um, a, a little more apathetic towards the topic. And so I think that, you know, with any survey, you always have to consider a couple of those things, you know, the non-response rate um, and then the, the population that's surveyed in and of itself. And, and, uh, but, but like I said, considering those things, I still I think there's some valuable information to be gained from, um, you know, from the data that we collected. And, and I think it is meaningful for the practitioner as well. What, what do you think are some of the challenges as we close up here? You know, our listeners that are practicing veterinarians and especially those cow-calf veterinarians that are trying to get into offering consultative services to cow-calf producers, uh, what are some of those challenges, especially in terms of cattle health and production records, and how might veterinarians work with producers to overcome those barriers? What are some take-home messages for those veterinarians? Absolutely. I think that's a, a great question. And, um, you know, I think it starts with um, building that working relationship with the cow-calf producer. Uh, we try to teach our veterinary students here at Mississippi State that, you know, you have a working relationship with a producer, and, and that producer ought to see you as an investment in their operation and see your services in it as an investment in the operation. And um, I think you build that relationship with those producers by offering the things that meet their immediate needs and, you know, and being willing to, uh, to go and do those things, you know, to see that emergency after hours or on the weekend, do those things that meet the needs of the producer and build, build the repertoire that you have with that, with that producer as their practitioner. And then, you know, over time you, you develop a relationship where um, the producer may be you know, more comfortable sharing some questions that they have or seeking your input in, um, you know, different management type decisions. And I think at that point, then, you know, the practitioner can can begin to incorporate or begin to approach the topic of well, what if we, what if we captured, what if we did a little better job of capturing birth dates, for example, or at least counts of calves that are born per week of the calving season. I, I think that you know that right there. If you if you have a little bit of information about the calving distribution within a herd, 
that goes a long way in being able to describe some of the reproductive efficiency in a cow-calf herd. And, and that's not difficult information to collect either. You know, I mean, it's, it can be as simple as counting the number of calves that are new in a, in a calving pasture on a daily basis or every few days or every week or whatever that may be. Um, you know, that, that doesn't require a lot of, a lot of um, extra time or effort. And it can really, you know, we can use that information to then extrapolate and get an idea of, you know, how efficiently our breeding season progressed um, and then make some decisions that might be beneficial in things like tightening up a calving window or increasing the uniformity of a calf crop and things like that. And so I think those are those are some important places to start. And I guess, you know, I generally try to tell folks that, you know, you don't have to. You don't have to start with an incredibly complex, you know, very detailed record-keeping system. Oftentimes, those I think are can be more harmful than they than they can be uh, beneficial because um, if the system that you, that we implement on cow-calf operations is is too complicated, then you know we may lose participation from those folks that are actually trying to collect the data, and so. There's lots of things that, that can be very valuable, um, counts of, of animals, counts of health events, um, temporal information about the distribution of these events over time. Really, that just comes down to writing down numbers of animals that, you know, either get sick when they get sick, you know, the numbers of calves that are born, and when those events happen. And with that, with those kinds of simple pieces of information, we can really do a lot. We can really use that as a big starting point. Um, and as a you know, as a starting point to then sell the the idea of keeping up with some of these things um, and using them to make better decisions on on cow calf operations. I couldn't agree more, Isaac. Really appreciate your time today on the podcast. Appreciate your work in getting these papers uh, um, published in the Bovine Practitioner AABP's peer reviewed journal. I want to just remind our listeners that you know we have identified in this podcast and with Dr. Jumper's research some tremendous opportunities for cow-calf veterinarians to be involved with their clients on cow, cattle health and production records. Um, read through these papers and you know, look at where you might want to target uh, to increase your success of implementing these things on your client's operations. And I always like to go back to what Mark Hilton always says, and that is know your audience and ask questions. So if you're struggling to get these uh, consultative services implemented into your cow-calf farms, uh, know your audience, ask questions, find out what they're interested in. And I think one of the challenges, as well as an opportunity for our cow-calf clients, which uh, were identified in these papers, is that 84% said that they enjoy taking care of cattle. Um, and so one of the things that you can do is how can you make that more enjoyable for them instead of focusing on the financial returns that they'll realize by doing some of these various things. So work to help incorporate those record systems on your client operations. As Isaac mentioned, don't start off really complex. Identify the most important things to record and work with that and then expand on that for those clients that are interested. But identify those bottlenecks and ask those questions. Finally, 
recognize that you as a veterinarian are an investment in their operation. You are important to them. Two-thirds of these respondents said that the veterinarian was influential in their management decisions. So uh, recognize that, know your value, offer those services, and charge appropriately. Isaac, thank you so much. Uh, Really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much, Dr. Gingrich. I appreciate the opportunity. 